I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 977. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. About 130 years ago, something called the Grapefruit League launched in the late winter, early spring months. And it's happened every single year since that launch 130 years ago. And in fact, 41 days from right now, it will officially kick off again. It is not a grapefruit eating competition. Um, If it were, we'd need lots of sugar to see who could win that one. But the Grapefruit League was and is a group of 15 Major League Baseball teams who gather in sunny Florida for a few weeks of what they call spring training. It's called the Grapefruit League because of where it is situated in and amongst the citrus groves uh, there in Clearwater, Florida and Bradenton, Bradenton, Florida. Historic names that even if you're not a big fan of sports or baseball, historic names that you probably recognize like Babe Ruth and Willie Mays and many others have all returned to Florida each spring for a very specific purpose, spring training. Spring training is when you return to the basics before you actually start your season back up again. It's a chance to refresh what you already know so well. So Babe Ruth, maybe the best to ever play the game, understood his need to get back to the basics every so often, and thousands of professionals since, many of them multi-multi-millionaires, have played, who have played the sport for, for decades, they'll all lay down their pride for a couple weeks and work on perfecting the most routine drills. And I imagine that every year when they come back together there in South Florida, they want to answer at least a few questions. First, what is our destination? Where are we headed? Every team has this hope that their destination, the end of the road for them, is going to land them in the championship, in the World Series, and that they're going to win the World Series. So they work toward that end. What is our destination? Also, what is our transportation? Not so much like what airline are we going to fly to get across the country, but uh, what can transport them from spring training to championship? And then third, what is their motivation? What is going to be the wind in their sails? In the dead of July, when they're standing in the brutal heat for hours on end in a doubleheader, what is going to keep them going when it doesn't feel so great and it's also very mundane and hot and sweaty? Well, every year, we like to do a little bit of our own spring training right here at Trinity. This is not our normal sort of tack that we're, you're going to experience this morning. So if you're new, it's your first time. Normally, we just work through books of the Bible sequentially, and we're kind of doing that this morning as well, hitting our next text in our sort of journey through Ephesians, Uh, but this will look and feel a little bit different than it normally does uh, on most Sundays. But we like to do a little bit of spring training, and we like to remind ourselves of the same three things that those uh, major league teams do. What is our destination? Where are we headed as a church? What is our transportation? How are we going to get there together as a church? And then finally, what is our motivation? What keeps us going on this journey together with Jesus? So if you've been here at Trinity for any length of time, at least for a year, you might be familiar, you should be familiar with some of these themes. That's okay. We, we all need reminding of these things. The babe needed spring training, and so do we this morning. 
in God's providence, uh, where we're at in Ephesians, fits like a glove. You see what I did there with my spring training comments there? Fits like a glove with our little version of spring training this morning. And we will unpack the final two verses of Ephesians 3 together at the very end of our time together this morning. But first, let's ask this first question of ourselves. What is our destination as Trinity Community Church right here in 19001? What is our destination? Where are we headed? Today we are dropping a pin on a map and saying that, that right out there, that is where we are headed and we hope you'll jump on board with us as a church because the final destination is so worth it and so worthy. So we hope you'll have the same pin drop that we do. We might say that a destination is a vision, a vision that we lock our gaze onto for why we do any of this. And so here's our ultimate destination, our vision as a church, if you will. We want the result of Trinity's existence to be that everyone in Abington, every man, woman, and child encounters Jesus in a way that cannot be ignored. This is, this is our big grand vision for Abington. This is like the North Star. This is where we're headed. We may never make it to the North Star. We, we, we probably won't make it to the North Star. Uh, but this is what we're chasing after, our destination. And why, though? Why is this our destination? Why labor to this particular end? Well, two main reasons here for us. First, it's God's final destination for the world. There are many texts that bear this out, but here's one for you. Habakkuk 2, 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's glorious future vision for the world. Can you imagine right now, in your mind's eye, every city, every neighborhood, every street, every house in Abington saturated with Jesus' presence through Jesus' people? That's how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. What if every house right now in Abington was empty because they were all worshiping and following Jesus at one of the local churches here in the area? It's a stunning thought, isn't it? Thousands upon thousands of empty houses. This is God's ultimate end, what you see on screen, for us here in little old Abington. The earth And by consequence, Abington will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the first reason for this destination. And and second, uh, it's God's ultimate best for the world. We learn from the New Testament that to be like Jesus is is one's most flourishing self. He was and he is the most flourishing human being that ever lived. And so we're not just here looking for converts to Christianity. We actually think that people that follow Jesus and put their faith in them will be the best, most flourishing beings in all the world. We really and truly believe that. We believe that those who are in Christ and like Christ are the best versions of themselves. Now, the world is going to try to tell you differently. They're going to try to tell you that wealth or fame or sex, or comfort, or good looks are the means to flourishing in this world. They're wrong, and you have to believe that those are going to be exposed as smoke screens on the last day. You're going to have to fight the tendency to believe them, though. One very literally cannot do better or be better than Jesus. So spreading the fame of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, and the message of Jesus is the fundamental way that we love our neighbors as ourselves. 
because it's the best for them in this life, and it's certainly the best for them in the next life. You know what would fix all of the division in our country, in our world right now? If every single one of us was like Jesus. If every single one of us was like Jesus, we would not be experiencing what we're experiencing now. The more people on the planet that are like Jesus, the better the world will be. But how does that happen? Ephesians 1 tells us, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of Christ, according to Ephesians 1, who through us, God uses us to fill all in all, to fill the world with the essence of Jesus. The vision of the Bible is for God's story and glory to spread and fill the whole earth by the gospel of his son, lived and spoken by the saints in his church. Digest that again. The vision of the Bible, this whole book, its whole point, is for God's glory to spread and fill the whole earth by the gospel of his son, lived and spoken by us, the saints of his church. That's how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fills the earth like the waters fill the sea. So as flowery as that sounds, and as maybe like unattainable as that sounds, uh, this is actually more earthy and practical than you might at first realize. So you live where you live. You work where you work. You play where you play. You shop where you shop. You do all of these things because that's where God put you to make his great renewing gospel visible. None of that is by accident where you work and play and shop. I ask this question every year around this time, but I think it's an important question that really helps us evaluate if we're actually heading in the right direction toward our destination. Here's the question. If Trinity ceased to exist tomorrow, would we even be missed? Sobering question. If this thing just vanished tomorrow, would we even be missed? Would the gospel be any less visible in our communities? I don't just mean the words of the gospel. I mean the demonstration of the gospel and loving our neighbors as ourselves and caring to meet needs. It's kind of safe to think that at like the macro level, right? If Trinity ceased to exist, if the organization stopped existing, would your workplace be any, uh, or, or uh, would Abington be any worse off? And the sort of the pastors have to deal with it at the, at the macro level, right? But where this gets a little dicey for us and a little uncomfortable, I think, is on the micro level in our own personal lives. Something like, would your block be any worse off if you were to move tomorrow? Would your workplace be worse off if you transitioned jobs tomorrow? Not just would they miss your expertise in X, Y, or Z. Would they miss your contribution, your gospel contribution to that place in word and deed? Would the aroma of your normal life paths have a little less essence of Jesus tomorrow if you were to just move on? This is why we exist, Trinity, to spread the renewing hope of Jesus through word and deed to the normal old people on the normal old life paths that we all walk every day at the pizza shop, at the barber shop, at the auto shop, whatever shop you go to. So it's spring training, and it's time to be reminded of our vision. And this is where we're headed, right? This is like when you're learning or relearning the, the concept of picking up 
ground, ground balls or perfecting your swing in spring training. This is it, the basics. We want the result of Trinity's existence to be that everyone in Abington, every man, woman, and child encounters Jesus in a way that cannot be ignored. But how do we get there? What is our transportation? How are we going to get there? Well, if vision is where we're headed, mission is how we get there. Vision is where we're headed. Mission is how we make it to vision. And I think it might be most helpful to think about our transportation as a bike. A bike needs two wheels to work, right? One is insufficient unless you're a unicyclist. Is there anybody in here who's a unicyclist? That would be super cool. Nope. All right. We tried. Um, We need two wheels. Wheel one, make disciples. Wheel two, mobilize disciples. So this is our mission. The two wheels, if if you will. Trinity exists to make and mobilize faithful disciples of Jesus. Wheel one, wheel two. This is how Abington will have no one left who has missed out on an unignorable interaction with Jesus. What do we mean by unignorable? We just mean that this is not some kind of uh, uh, hope that we have in our hearts, that somebody will just see us walking into a church and hope that they'll think that there's something really wonderful about Jesus. No, it's going to require a little bit of courage, a little bit of a strength, strength. Uh, uh, an ability to, to do something for someone that they can't do for themselves, meeting a particular need that they have, or, or speaking a word of encouraging hope into their lives. But this is how Abington is going to have no one left who has missed out on the unignorable interaction with Jesus. And so wheel one here, make disciples. Matthew 28, you've heard this a thousand times if you've been in the church for any length of time. The Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples just means this. It might sound like an obscure phrase to you, but it just means introducing people to Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus and praying that they would believe this. This is what you're praying that they would believe. This is the gospel in a very short nutshell here. The Father sent the Son in the power of the Spirit to live the life we couldn't live. Jesus lived perfectly in our place. To die the death that we deserve to die. And then to be raised in power from the dead so that all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus would be granted forgiveness and acceptance with the Father and made heirs to eternal life. That's the little nutshell of what we live our lives around. Uh, The center in which we live our lives around and the, the good news in which we are to disseminate to our friends and family in one way or another. I'm not saying you have to say it like that at all, but the goal is to communicate these truths because their lives in this life can be worthy and worthwhile and their life in the next life can be rescued. To believe that is to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's our calling to transfer that news to the people in our life path. Now, the good news this morning is that making disciples of Jesus does not necessarily mean adding things to your calendar. You don't have to whip out your Google Calendar and add 14 things to your, to your week, this upcoming week. It means doing what you already do with gospel intentionality. Just doing what you already do. Whatever your life path is, you don't need to retreat from how you're gifted or from how you're wired. As Christians, we're simply called to live out the gospel and make disciples in our ordinary paths of life. So the only way that God's glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea is if you make it visible in your little corner of the world, wherever that is and whatever you do, the only way this is fulfilled is by each of us doing our little part 
in our little corner. So like I said, mission isn't something that you just throw onto your calendar and wait for. It's like it's on your schedule and you just wait till two o'clock on Wednesday and that's when the mission happens. It's not like that at all. It's actually just, it's like a, it's a way of life. I mean, you got to think about Jesus in this. He didn't run projects. He didn't establish nonprofits. He didn't create programs. He didn't put on events. He just ate with people and spoke truth to them. Remember our Eating with Jesus series back last year? Jesus did his mission while eating and drinking. That is the cool thing and the amazing thing about being a Christian is that this is how the mission happens. We eat and we drink with each other. It's awesome. Francis Schaeffer steps on all of our toes here. He says, don't start with a big program. Don't suddenly think you can add to your church budget and begin. Start personally and start in your home. I dare you. Do what I'm going to suggest. Begin by opening your home for community. You don't need a big program. You don't have to convince your pastors. All you have to do is open your home and begin in. Hard words maybe for some of us. And when, when we begin to engage in this very ordinary mission, friends, our Sundays in here will change. Our communities will be transformed. The world is going to change if we just do our little part in our little corner, in our normal, ordinary paths of life. So ask yourself some questions. When is the last time you invited someone who needs Jesus into your home to share a meal with you? I feel that. I've had a plan for several weeks to speak with someone in my life to invite them into my home, and it has remained a plan for several weeks and not executed. I've had opportunities, and I haven't taken them. We all fail and fall in this, but I want to encourage you pick it back up and move forward again. When's the last time you invited a friend to share a Sunday right here with you? Some of you have done that today. You have introduced me to your friends. It's awesome. When's the last time you accepted an invitation to hang out with coworkers after work with gospel intent? When's the last time you said more than, hey man, to your neighbor across the street? And after some of these faces that you're thinking of right now, maybe it's a coworker, a family member, or a neighbor, after some of these faces that you're thinking of right now have decided to follow Jesus, isn't that an amazing thought? Think about that. That person that you're thinking of right now will be singing and shouting the praises of the Lamb, and, and they too will be making disciples that also make disciples. They'll be baptized, and they'll be mobilized to live a life of faithful discipleship to Jesus Maybe right here at Trinity. What an amazing thought. Now I need to hear all of us to hear this clearly. God's favor on you is not dependent on how many disciples you make. It never has been and it never will be. He's granted you already maximum favor in Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly on mission in your place so that when you're distracting yourself with something other than mission, God is looking on you with favor. The sweet gift of God through Jesus. But out of this favor that's been granted to us, let's live on mission. That's the first wheel. The second wheel, uh, mobilize disciples. Make disciples, mobilize disciples. Same text, Matthew 20, 18, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, covered that of all nations. And then what does he say next? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if our mission is simply to do this, just to get people to invite Jesus into our hearts or to accept him as Savior, then we are not teaching people what it means, what it really means to become a Christian. We must teach one another, mobilize, put tools in each other's hands, if you will, mobilize one another to 
observe all that Christ has commanded. This means that more than anything, the health of Trinity is primarily measured not by the bigness of the crowd in the seats, but by the bigness of Christ in our hearts. If we want a church that can weather the significant storms of our time, of our increasingly post-Christian culture, if we want a church that can survive even while abusive winds blow against us every day through media and social media and you name it, if we want that, if we want to make it to the end, still holding on, still believing, still trusting, we have to take our discipleship, our mobilization of one another seriously. Each of us Christians has been tasked with mobilizing other Christians. Each of us is tasked with mobilizing each other to follow Jesus faithfully. One author defined the process like this. He says, discipleship is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Jesus. Mark Dever said that. That's what Jesus means when he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So when you really strip it down, this is what discipleship is. It's a, it's a big word that we talk about a lot as Christians, right? But it's really simple. It just means this, helping others follow Jesus. That's all discipleship is, helping others follow Jesus. So I want to know, do you have any of these kinds of relationships with anyone in your life? Are you helping or are you being helped to follow Jesus in your life? Each of us, each one of us, if we are followers of Jesus in here this morning, has an integral role in this. Paul reminded the Ephesian church that God has given the church pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So according to Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, the work of the ministry is on all of us. We all shoulder the burden, not just the ones that get paid for it, right? That might be something that we can tend to think. Oh, it's just, it's just the pastors who do the work of the ministry. It's actually like the exact opposite in Ephesians 4. We all do it. We all carry this load. Each of us are tools in the Spirit's hands. You came to church today to get told you're a tool. Each of us are tools in the Spirit's hands, tailor-made by God to do our mobilizing job. Some of you think this morning, you believe it deep down in your heart, you think that you're the tool that no one ever needs, that your proper place is shoved back in the toolbox. But that's a lie. Hear these words from 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, each one of us in here is an each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the Spirit in power, expertly wields us, his tools, to finish his discipleship project in each other. This means that I need you, and you need me. And you can look around and say that to everyone else in here. I need you, and you need me. It means that you are insufficient to follow Jesus on your own. There are no loner disciples. Maybe you don't think of yourself as very valuable or influential, Maybe you don't think of yourself as very gifted, but you are. You are made in God's image, given the tools that God wants you to have for the flourishing of this little body of believers. You are tailor-made by Jesus with exactly the gifts that you have 
to be just the thing that others need at exactly the right time to take their next step with Jesus and make it to the end still believing in Jesus. You are critical for the life and health of this body. So while you're a member here at Trinity, you are irreplaceable. Your life experiences and interactions are utterly unique. Your interactions with the Lord over your lifetime cannot be replicated by anyone else in here. So you have a unique set of circumstances and gifts that you contribute to the health of this little church. So we each need your perspective and we need your instruction on how to live out the truth of this book because you have angles and differences and and we need each other in this. So let me urge you in two directions, very practically in this way. Let me encourage you to graciously intrude into other Christians' lives to do them deliberate spiritual good. Graciously intrude. We want to have a church that is graciously intrusive. And when others around you take this instruction to heart, let them do this by being a person who, number two you see up there, will humbly accept these gracious intrusions from other Christians. Are these the kind of relationships that you're involved in right now? Graciously intrusive and humbly receptive. If not, if you need help getting into one of these, shoot us an email or text or track me down afterwards. It'd be a joy to speak with you about that. But this means, even more practically, it means you're going to have to humbly receive another man or woman lovingly digging into your own life. Ugh, some of us aren't too interested in that, are we? People need to know you. If your marriage is in trouble, these are the people in here that need to know so they can help you last and get to a better place. If you're struggling this morning with addictions to opioids or pornography, someone needs to know. I'm not saying everyone needs to know. You don't have to get up here and announce it to the church. But someone does. We want to carry these burdens with you. They might be that obscure tool in the back of the toolbox that helps you overcome this thing. Don't allow the shame of your sin to keep you from reaching out and getting help with pursuing freedom from whatever you fill in the blank. Everyone here is broken, and we know it, right? We would all nod to that. There's no need to hide. Nothing should surprise any of us about each other. We are all deeply broken, aren't we, and deeply needy. It's okay. We already said this this morning once. It is okay to not be okay. That is the story of all of us. And that's what this story comes in to heal. God meets us right where we are. And listen to this. God will ordinarily, most often, meet you and your brokenness with people in this room who are also broken. In this church, I should say, not just in this room. But this means you're going to have to come together with intention. I remember in eighth grade, and you'll, remember, you'll know why I know exactly when it was after I tell you the story. But I remember in eighth grade, my friends would always make fun of me and tell me that I smelled like bacon. There are more cruel slams in this world, I guess, for eighth graders. But I could never figure out why I was the guy who smelled like bacon. Um, until one day it dawned on me. You see, we heated our house with uh, a wood stove and all of my clothes absorbed the smoky scent, which I guess reminded my fellow eighth graders of bacon. I have smelled a lot of eighth graders in my time, and a lot of them have smelled worse than bacon, so I'm grateful that bacon was as bad as it got for me. 
no offense to you eighth graders, I'm sure you guys all smell great this morning. But after, after the realization dawned on me, I never didn't smell the bacon, the smoky bacon scent again when I came into my house during those winter months. The smell had permeated everything, including my clothes, the hair I used to have. Trinity, we want our church to smell like discipleship, like mutual mobilizing. And if we're all at it at the same time, it will permeate everything that we do. You won't be able to exit a gathering, whether it's on a Sunday or with community group, without doing and receiving deliberate spiritual good. If we're all at this, you will not be able to exit a gathering without receiving and or doing deliberate spiritual good to one of us. And what does this look like? A culture of discipleship that permeates all of us, that leaves us smelling like discipleship, looks like people praying impromptu together during the middle of a conversation. Hey, can I pray for you in that real quick? That sounds troubling. Or uh, imagine for a moment that a non-Christian friend of yours from another city becomes a believer. They become a Christian. What kind of reception and care and discipleship would you want for them and their new church wherever they would start attending? What would you want the aroma of that church culture to be? What would you want their experience of God's love and care for them to be in that new church? Would you want them to have to wait until the pastor could get to them? Or would you want the membership to gather around them, support them, care for them? Would you want the members to take them to Jesus over and over and over again? We want to be the kind of church that you would want for your newly Christian friend. I mean, I, I do not stand up here as one who is great at this. I often shy away from intentional conversation. It's way more comfortable sometimes to talk about the house project or COVID or the Eagles. Some of you have experienced this weakness in me, and for that I am sorry, and I would covet your prayers for improvement and courage. Some of us might be tempted to think, well, I'm basically here every Sunday. I'm there at every C group. That's pretty good, right? Yes, it is, totally. But if I can just nudge you, it's not exactly God's best for you. I'm afraid some of us content ourselves with social gatherings where the Bible is talked about or where other church members are simply present. But being in the same room with another Christian doesn't mean you're mobilizing or being mobilized to follow Jesus more faithfully. It just means that you're breathing the same air. That's not community. That's not discipleship. That's not mobilization. In other words, our mutual discipleship isn't just about relationships. It is about them, but it's not just about relationships. We think good relationships are the platform for fruitful discipleship, totally. But relationship in and of itself is not the aim of discipleship. It's the other way around. Developing relationships has an end goal, and it's discipleship. It's becoming more like Jesus and helping one another to do that. That's kind of the reason we like this word mobilize, make and mobilize faithful disciples, because it isn't like static. It's got some forward momentum to it. It doesn't leave room for those fuzzy Christian relationships that never get to discipleship because really all they're about is relationship. Mobilize forces us into intentional, forward, spiritual momentum. 
constantly putting tools into each other's hands to more faithfully follow Jesus. So when you have uh, a fire in the fire pit in the backyard, maybe a little bit later in the spring, and the flames are beginning to die down, what do you want to do to get those flames going again? Do you spread the coals out? No, you, you push them together, right? Coals burn brighter and hotter when they are together. The same with us, Trinity. Our, our missional fire, fire will burn brighter if we are consistently coming together with intention to help one another follow Jesus more faithfully. When we grow in our desire to mobilize one another for faithfulness, that will often result in us spending more time with each other in each other's life and life rhythms. Have people over for dinner. Go to the park together. Enjoy dinner out together. Hey, maybe in your life you don't have the money right now, or maybe you're where you live, you don't have the space to invite people in. Maybe you're a college student and you have a dorm room. Man, warm up some ramen noodles and give them to us. It can be leftover ramen noodles for all I care, right? My kids will love it. We'll save some money because dinner's on you, and we can enjoy being a part of this integral, intentional part of each other's lives. You never knew that ramen could be part of discipleship, but it can. Let's not romanticize this here at all. Mutual mobilizing is unspectacular, okay? It's grittier than you think it's going to be. It might be gritty, but it is so great. When you enter into covenant with this church through membership, it should be the closest that you get to heaven this side of heaven. Membership in a local church should be the closest you get to heaven this side of heaven. Together, we want to be bent on making Trinity more like heaven by helping Trinity's members become more like Jesus. This is our goal, and it should be our increasing experience that we get a little taste of glory when we come together. But now remember, one of those things that happens at spring training, right? They talk about what's going to keep them going. Maybe there's been a rough patch in the middle of the season. They've, they logged a couple losses in a row, and tempers are flaring. The sun is blazing. What's going to keep them going? What's going to motivate them to finish out strong so they can make it to the series at the end? Final brief point for us today. What is our motivation? What, what keeps us going? You might remember Jesus. He said uh, that he didn't do many miracles in Nazareth because no one in Nazareth believed. He didn't do miracles because they didn't believe. Trinity Church, let, us, let this not be true of us. Let it not be said that the reason didn't, that Jesus didn't work mightily through us is because we didn't believe that he could and would. Let us believe that the empowering spirit that we talked about and celebrated last week is powerfully at work in us to do more than we could ask or think. So we're finally getting to our text for the day. Isn't that encouraging? We're just now to it. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we, all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think we need a fresh encounter with the Jesus of this book. We need Jesus to deliver us from the sin of unbelief. We need our expectations to be shaped by the historical and powerful Jesus of whom this is true. We need to pray. Last week, we saw that the Spirit is the one who empowers us to make maximum space 
on the landscape of our hearts for Jesus. And the more we ask the Spirit to do this, the more Jesus will remodel our hearts to look like His. And the more this happens, we discovered, the fuller and fuller with the fullness of God we will be. Is a mind-blowing text from last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. We were all encouraged by the text last week. But the trigger for all this fullness, for Jesus taking up more and more residence in us, is the trigger for this is the Spirit's power. We get access to this power through prayer. Remember last week, there is a power that can only be had and only be accessed through prayer. There is a a power to be had that can only be accessed through prayer. We will certainly need this power to pull this vision that we've talked about this morning into reality. We need a power that we don't have in and of ourselves. We unpacked that last week, so we won't get into it now. But just note that that same power is back this week in verse 20. You can look in your text if you have it open. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. That's that same power, that spirit-wrought power deep down in our inner being that we talked about last week. Same power here. God does mind-blowing work, more than we could ask or think, by the power of the Spirit at work in us. And how powerful is this power? Well, the same power, get this, the same power at work in you and me is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1, I pray that you may know, Paul says, I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead. That's what we get to plug into, the cosmic power source. So what motivates us to keep going? This, that the power of God is at work in us. And when it is the right time, that power will do mind-blowing things through us. The amazing thing about this little text is that the Spirit, the spirit channels his power. The Spirit of God channels his, his amazing power through us, his little kids. The Father does more than we could ever ask or think according to the Spirit who is at work in and through us. Now, I, I will admit totally this morning that there is a mysterious connection between our ask and God's action. There's, there's a mysterious connection between our ask for God to do something and God's action in doing the thing. And I think this connection probably makes some of us skeptical in our hearts this morning toward God because we ask and it doesn't seem like there's an act. And I cannot fully explain it to you. I do not know the ins and outs of the mind of God in this. Why do some of us need like dramatic answers to prayer? And then why do some of us beg and long and plead and seem to see nothing in answers to prayer? The short answer is that I do not know and I truly am sorry for your pain. I don't understand the mind of God in all of these things. I know that it's right and good and wise, but I don't have all the answers. If this describes you this morning, if Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 rings a little hollow to you this morning, I would encourage you to pursue what the Bible calls lament. We talked about this at length about a year ago, but lament is the Bible-prescribed bridge from pain to trust. It's not an easy bridge to cross, I will warn you, but it is so worth it. Lament gives voice to our hard questions, and it actually sends them in the right direction. 
But our danger and lament, when we aren't seeing all the things come true that we see in verses 20 and 21, our danger is getting stuck in lament. Don't get stuck in your complaints. Christian lamenting leads to trust, not more complaining. So this bridge accounts for the fact that we live in a world, this is key here, we're wrapping up, we live in a world where belief and pain somehow coexist. I can't untangle all of that for you. But godly, biblical, faithful lament is a bridge between this pain and trust. Lament is a sovereignly designed tool in your toolbox to lead from pain to trust. Let it work its way to trust in your heart. I only share this brief aside to acknowledge that some of us in here are seeking and desiring and trying to believe that God can and will do more for us than we ask or think, and we're praying, but it feels fruitless right now. I want to just encourage you to hang on. Lament, keep lamenting, keep trusting, and see what God will do. Still, the offer here in 20 and 21, that God can do more than we ask or think, is tantalizing to us, isn't it? God, through the power of his spirit in us, is able to do more than we ask or think. But I wonder, when is the last time outside of this gathering here that you thought about or prayed about God doing something outsized in your life, in you and through you by his spirit? If we want to make it to our destination by means of the transportation that we've talked about, we're going to need the proper motivation. And what's more motivating this morning than having a great big God behind us blowing the wind of these promises into the sails of our collective mission? I'll say it again. What's more motivating than having a great big God behind us blowing the wind of his promises from 20 and 21 into the sails of our collective mission? Achieving our mission and pursuing our vision will require the hard work of obedience. But let's not get obedience to the mission twisted this morning. It's better than you think. Obedience is not a stodgy plodding in the ruts of religion. It is a hopeful race toward God's promises. I wonder if you need to tweak that in your mind a little bit, in your heart this week. It is not a stodgy plodding. It is a hopeful race towards God's promises. So on your knees, like we talked about last week, in desperation, race toward the abundant promises of verse 20. And the only way, the only way any of us get to this destination and by means of this transportation is the only way we get there is on our knees, like Paul implores back in verse 14, if you look. So this on our knees desperation is the only way Abington will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Together in desperation, Trinity, let's pray that God would blow our minds by the resurrection power of the Spirit within us. And as we close, I want to do what we normally do on spring training Sunday and step into a time warp real quick. Let's just imagine for a moment that we have spent a decade in desperation on our knees and on unwavering mission. What heavenly havoc might we wreak? So time warp, it's 2032. Every part of Abington is filled with the presence of Jesus through everyday people and everyday life. Because every member is making the gospel visible in word and deed. Every part of Abington has heard whisper of the unignorable and glorious Jesus. Our baptism pool hardly has time to get dry before it gets wet again. It's 2032. Our community group structure has been retired. 
Not because it was a bad idea, but, but because we don't need it anymore. There is not a single member who is disengaged or uncared for. This has nothing to do with the pastors, though. It's not like they're doing all of the work. It has everything to do with all the members embracing their God-given role to make the gospel visible to their Christian friends and to mobilize them to follow Jesus. Conversations between members consist of and center on Jesus even more than the Eagles in the playoff game today, right? Let's go, birds. They center on Jesus more than the weather or the pandemic or the president. Members are in each other's homes and in each other's business and in each other's lives all on their own without the crutch of a program like C Group. We love C Group. We're not going to retire it. I'm just, I'm dreaming here for a second that we wouldn't need the structure and that we just do it all on our own without help. It's 2032. Church members have started workplace Bible studies in 25 businesses in the Abington area. Unbelieving people from these Bible studies are darkening our doors every single Sunday. Some of them are even believing. 2032. Some of Trinity's members have left behind the American dream to go to the deepest, darkest parts of our world to plant gospel seeds that will grow into flourishing churches. They're sowing seeds that can only be harvested in eternity. 2032, Trinity has successfully unearthed the hidden brokenness of Abington. This has troubled me for a long time. Abington is, you know, upper middle class. Where do we find the spaces to meet needs? How do, we, how do we find the brokenness where it is? By God's grace, we'll keep searching and we'll find it. Trinity is working hard to see past Abington's apparent wealth and security. Her members have relentlessly searched for the poor, the suffering, and the marginalized in our community. We've befriended them. We're eating with them. We're sharing the news of the kingdom with them. We're meeting the needs of real people. It's 2032. Our church is building racial and cultural divides with gospel love and dignity. We now enjoy a multi-ethnic, multi-colored, multi-socioeconomic church family. It's literally red, yellow, black, and white, and it is precious in Jesus' sight. It's 2032. Trinity has fully embraced that there will be no gospel progress without God's prayed-for presence. There's a new weekly prayer meeting, and there's barely enough room to contain the crowd that's in the prayer meeting for the, the amount of prayer warriors in that room because every member has embraced their God-given roles as agents of gospel change in the world. And each of us realizes that in order to succeed in this, we need, we must have the presence of God with us, in us, and for us. We could go on, but we won't. It's going to take way more years of spring training to get this right. Many more than 10 years. In 2032, we will not have grabbed hold of this, and succeeded at this fully. It's going to take a lifetime. 2032 is going to come and go, and we're going to have failed and fallen short, and that's okay because Jesus meets us in our weaknesses. Pray with me. Band can come up. Communion servers can come up. God, would you please do something outsized here in our church, more than we can ask or think. Blow our minds by the power of your Spirit through the work of your people. Move in us, move among us, move through us. Save. Allow these ideas to permeate us. Give us your strength and courage to speak. Use us as you want, no matter the test. By grace, we will preach your gospel till our dying breath. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done. 
so that everyone in Abington might know your name. In Jesus' name, amen.